This is the Criteria Increase Podcast. I'm Jared Duncan. I'm RJ Baylog. And we're just two guys who have no other choice now but to creep our way through the Criterion Collection one spine number of a time in order to release. This week, we're chilling poolside with much intelligence and general human rights abuses. Ooh. Ooh. As we watch Spine <laughs> Keep going. 153 in the Criterion Collection. Barbet Schroeder's General Idiamine Data, a self-portrait from 1974. But first, RJ, how are things? Not very good, Jarrett. I'm about ready to end all this shit. This is like the fifth week in a row that Skype has decided to be a big turd of shit right when we start recording. A turd of shit. Have you ever heard of that one? No. That's uh, that's one of General uh, Idi Amin's uh, <laughs> own euphemisms himself. The king of dialogue. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, I don't know. I feel like every time we're going to start talking about Blumhouse, Skype decides to just take a big shit on our podcast. And how did they know? They must be monitoring us. It's the only logical explanation. Well, they want to hear what you thought of their latest offering. Not much. So now they, uh, they decide to, like I said, take a big turd and shit right on top of all of our stuff. We'll, we'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. But, yeah. That's how I'm feeling. There's cool. no good news. There's no bad news. There's only life in the post-Skype world. We got this uh, YouTube comment uh, the other day. I don't know if you Uh-oh. saw this. Uh, on, our, on, uh, on Hidden Fortress. How uh, It's like, how, how does this movie, how is this movie more like Raiders of the Lost Ark than, the, than Star Wars or something like that? Did we even watch the same movie? And I'm like, oh, Hidden Fortress. That was like over a half a year ago. I, I don't remember really what I would have said about that. All I think I remember making fun of how people always talk about hidden fortress being like the blueprint for star Wars. And, uh, <laughs> I've, I've never bought it, but I, I remember distinctly also saying that I never bought that as well. Uh, I don't know where this Raiders of the lost dark stuff comes in. Yeah. I, I do have a notebook with notes so I can check here to see if we made any notes <laughs> on that movie from my notebook. Jared. Mm. But uh, I'll review that. I don't care. I don't actually care that much, but I just, like, I don't know. It makes me question doing these things because I don't want, like, having to, like, hear back from people that, like, like, Mm. a while afterwards because I'm like, I don't fucking remember. Yeah, I don't remember what we... Give me a time stamp. Let me me know what reference you're talking about because I don't know. I say a lot of things, RJ. I I did notice there was one um, on Magnificent Ambersons, and some guy was commenting without time stamping stuff, but he was commenting very clearly on whatever we were talking about at very specific times. Like he was talking as if he was part of the conversation with us. Mm-hmm. Like he was addressing comments that we were saying and none of them are time stamped. And uh, I think he was really pissed off because it must be his favorite movie or something. And not that we were even talking negatively about that movie, but uh, 
I guess we didn't have the gusto that he uh, he wanted. He did comment on what kind of education we have as we had not read that book well, before. I, I, I think that was in reference to uh, me telling the author the name. It was like Booth Tarkington. You're like, that's not a real name. I think that's probably oh. when that guy probably so blew, he, blew a gasket. He doesn't understand jokes either? Yeah. Well, if he must know, uh, between the two of us, I think we have, what, uh, three and a half university degrees? <laughs> we, got so, some, uh, we, got, we got some of that grade 10. Yeah, we got we got our grade 10. We're, we're working on more, but uh, whatever. We're just, you know. Yeah, YouTube comments are something else. There's something else, Jared. Uh, it's a real hell mouth you know <laughs> yeah that's why we need uh, our fans to support us on itunes because they say that's the only one that really matters it's the only one or that really they can matters or we die they can go on youtube and just comment back to all these negative nellies yeah straight set these bitches straight that's right that's, that's right. right hey what? rj we got emails what? plural yeah was it because of the call to arms last week uh maybe maybe hmm so this It'll... first this first one it caught my eye. It's from uh, mm-hmm. Ollie Granger. Uh oh, what's he into? Uh, subject header: dog rape. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love dogs and animals, and unlike RJ, I'm not a massive hypocrite <laughs> because I don't eat them or sell them to breeding farms or God knows what. Mm. <laughs> but I hate when wow. dogs hump you and felt for the guy in the scene. This is in reference to George Washington. Um, mm-hmm. I just find it such an abuse of trust. You think you're having fun playing with a dog, and then they just go for you. Gross. When I thought about writing this email in, uh, I had a flashback just like the guy in the movie. I remember playing with some stray dog and telling my friends or maybe family, look how much fun he is having. He likes me. They were just like, lol, he's just humping you. I don't think I have thought about that in over 20 years. Mm-hmm. Well, I think I... Uh... I can take this and go the other way with it. It's not that it's a um, invasion of trust or a misuse of trust. I think it's that it's the ultimate trust. They're just trying to show their affection for you. I don't think that they're trying to, you know, use you in any bad way, Jared. But I think the real thing here is uh, why is that a thing that exists in a movie that is being talked about more than once in any capacity on any forum or medium? (laughs) <laughs> that's all I, I see like we're i guess we're talking about it that's right so it's it's working it's stimulating but, conversation well i'm glad that he feels comfortable with us enough to uh call me out on my uh my own attire and you know it's within his right i believe he uh he's been here the longest mm-hmm. probably the longest of anyone so he he knows the score mm-hmm. and i'm not afraid to uh say that yes i am a, a huge hypocrite but um mm-hmm. i'm cool with that mm-hmm. it's fine you're just eating all the animals and saying, why, uh, why, why, why are they doing that to that animal? Oh. I, I do feel bad eating pork sometimes, actually. Pigs are pretty smart. No. But dolphin, ooh. <laughs> the ocean's cow. That's right. Mm-hmm. Well, anything else on dog rape or uh, that, is that? Uh... Uh, that's about it. I did see Oliver okay, was pretty high on that George Washington, so I'm glad that somebody enjoyed that movie. Some people are. Uh, I think you and me maybe uh, might be in the minority on that one, but that's fine. We're, uh, I'm frequently in the minority, so mm-hmm. it's good to have you down at the bottom with me for once. Yep. Hey. Yep. We got a, we got an email from Uh-oh. one Frank Solano. He's back, huh? He writes. The resurgence and, and part the, two. The header, I'm back. Uh-oh. And, and he begins, so... 
I want to start off by saying, while I was on my trip to Costa Rica, I listened to both the Traffic and George Washington episodes. So, your voices have officially been heard in Costa Rica. There you go. Global phenom. That's right. Also, I realize that we, the fans, have never heard your definitive most wanted criterion picks, as in movies mm. or films, that you'd like to see crit- uh, criterion release on the podcast. Please, both of you, name your top three and maybe give a reason why so we, the fans, have an idea of what you think the criterion collection should be releasing instead of disappointments. Um, mm. We'd have to think about that one, I guess. Uh, we'd have to get, I, I swear we've talked about this at some point. I think we maybe have. I think I brought it up when a uh, punch drunk love was talked about because forever that was one of my most wanted, and uh, now it's in there. So they should have just asked me to pick the next picks because uh, it seems like I'm on the the right wavelength here. Mm-hmm. Well, I could probably spitball some if you could, or if you want to wait till next week. Oh, I'd, have to, I'd, I'd, I'd have to ponder this, but let's see. So Frank does give his top three. The Devils by Ken Russell, because I want to watch the unedited cut, and I'm sure Criterion mm-hmm. can do that. Uh, I know that movie has been mm, mm-hmm. in, in discussion in the past. I think Criterion obviously would love to do it, but it comes down to Warner Brothers, and they seem to be scared of this movie, RJ. They're real scared to let that uh, that unedited version out there into the world, but uh, whatever. One day, I guess. Number two, Hero by Zhang Yimou, because mm-hmm. despite Jarrett's unforgivable three-star rating, it's beautiful and it deserves better than a stupid Miramax release. Um, yeah, the movie's okay. <laughs> um, but sure, I, I wouldn't care. If I don't got... think I've ever seen that movie. Uh, yeah, it's 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 like uh, kind of your epic, sweeping, kung fu-y kind of fight movie. It's fine. I don't know. I, I it was like I don't remember be, like being like a blowout. I know like uh, Quentin Tarantino was a big fan, and I think that's probably why I watched it. I've got the Blu-ray already, but yeah, sure, why not? And number mm-hmm. three, The Mirror by Tarkovsky, because it's fucking amazing and it doesn't make sense, and that's what the world needs right now. Something to make you stop and think for a second. I didn't mention The Fountain by Aronofsky because I know that it's RJ's top pick. Anyways, that's all I have right now. Hope you've had a good week, creeps, especially since the Patreon paycheck came in. Sadly, I'll have to trade in my upper-class status solid gold creep membership card for a measly middle-class one, but hopefully not for long. Have a good day, creeps. Mm-hmm. Why, thank you, Frank. Well, it's nice to hear from Frank again. Uh, the Fountain would be in one of my three picks, I believe. My picks are pretty easy because I don't really change my favorite movies on uh, the Letterboxd. So mm-hmm. I know you might have to think about it. Maybe I'll put some more thought in there, but uh, I do think the fountain would be pretty, pretty rad. So what are your two then? <laughs> I don't know. Probably uh, Eternal Sunshine and uh, Memento. Yeah, those aren't too bad. Those are all movies that I would I would love to have some additional content on some behind the scenes type stuff, Jarrett. Some additional interviews. Would I watch those? No, probably not. <laughs> but if there if there were ever movies I would do those supplements, it would be those ones. Have you ever watched uh, Memento with in, in chronological order? No, I don't know if I would like that. Yeah. Is that something people do? Well, there is a there was a DVD uh, special feature that you could play, and it played everything in order. It was like mm. a, one of the releases at one point. Mm. Very strange idea. But it was a gimmick. Early days of uh, DVD. That is a gimmick. Mm-hmm. 
I would people. Well, I don't know. Anyways, probably those three, and then uh, I can guess yours. Probably. Uh, oh boy. Eddie, uh, that Whoopi Goldberg movie where she takes over the New York Knicks. Uh, Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit, that Whoopi Goldberg movie where she takes over uh, Sister Act 2. And uh, probably... um, uh, What's that one? Boys Don't Cry, that Hilary Swank movie. Oh, man. That's that's, uh, one of those movies that I go to is like pure sad bastard cinema that like i'm like not a fan of because it's just like yeah that movie's just like so miserable like it's so like oh i don't want to watch this it's like monster's ball it's just these movies you're just like oh Mm. not today not ever that moment in the bathroom where she's like outside of herself watching stuff happen i think is like one of the saddest things in movies ever done well, I don't know why I brought that up. I was on I don't Whoopi know. Goldberg for a minute, and then for some reason, boys. I think it's because I was okay. I figured, <coughs> I figured it out, Jared. Yeah. I was thinking Whoopi, and then I was thinking Big Girls Don't Cry by Fergie, and then I was like, wait, that's not a movie. That's a song. <laughs> what about Boys Don't Cry? Right. So there was a natural path there, but uh, anyways, <laughs> were, are those your three movies? No. Um, okay, let's say let's let's throw some randos out here. Um, what would make me happy? Terminator Two. <laughs> okay, that's unlikely to happen. Um, Actually, I I can guess your top three. Oh, Gummo, Ooh. Happiness, Ooh. and uh, Boys a- Don't Cry. <laughs> Well, I, I would love both those movies uh, to mm-hmm. join the the collection proper because that would mean you'd have to watch them again. I wouldn't. I wouldn't rewatch those. Um, how about? I think like Clockwork Orange. I think would okay. be like more Kubrick. But mm-hmm. um, um, man, it's, it's like it's like being a kid in the candy store. You know, there's just so many great films. We've talked about Barfly, uh, that Barbet Schroeder yes. movie. Uh, mm-hmm. What a what a quinky dink. Uh, how about Barton Fink, as brought up the other week? Uh, oh, actually, you know what, though? I think it's got to come in one day, Boogie Nights. Mm, that one, I think, will happen. Yeah. So um, I would say Cruising, but I know another st- uh, studio is putting that out on Blu-ray, which is... Uh, that doesn't mm, mean Criterion can't. But th- th- I don't think they will be. Uh, so you'll get a, you can watch that again and get Shingles again. That's actually, I, I don't know, have I ever mentioned that story on, yeah, I on think, the podcast? I, I want to say you have. Yeah, well, that that movie did cause me to have shingles where I was I was actually literally bedridden for three months with what the doctor said was the worst possible case of shingles they have ever seen. And And it was someone your age, though, I'm assuming. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it was about eight hours after watching that movie. So um, I would like to revisit it one day because I did think it was a good movie, but uh, I'm a little scared now. Yeah. Oh, how about uh, Master and Commander? Ooh, that'd be that's very nice. No, yeah, there's there's so many, there's so many. It's you can't like, in Devils, yeah, absolutely. Did you say Devil that M Night Shyamalan movie? Devil. Well, I think he just produced that one or wrote it. I think he was the ghost director on that thing. The, the Maestro. The my yeah, I think he was. Uh, that was when his name was bad, so they stuck it, but still like drew a crowd. So I think he got producer, but. I want to say he directed that fucking movie. Speak, oh, maybe not. Speak, Doesn't matter. Speaking yeah. of which, hey RJ, mm-hmm. what? <clears throat> um, uh, what, what you been creeping on this week? 
man, did you forget how to talk for a minute there? Or did no, you forget I, I what know, the podcast I, well, was? No, I know it's coming. I know it's coming. Mm. Well, I'll delay, I'll delay for a little bit. Just keep that hot poker going a little slower. Uh, you ever heard of Gus Van Sant, Jarrett? Yes. He's a future creep, right? Yes, he is. Uh, a very soon, isn't it? Isn't uh, my, my no, own private Idaho? Isn't no, that coming up soon? No, that's not for a while. Oh, okay, never mind. Well, I watched this Gus Van Sant movie, Jarrett, on Amazon Prime. It's called Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot. Now, do you know anything about this movie? I've Features cartoonist John Callahan. Seen the trailer and I've seen some mm-hmm. stills. Yeah, I don't really know. So just go ahead and tell me. Refresh my so, memory. There was this guy, Jared, this cartoonist named John Callahan uh, in like the 70s. And uh, he was made famous because he made very controversial cartoons uh, and he offended a lot of people. Uh, the topic and focus of many of his cartoons were uh, disabled, uh, physically disabled people. Uh, people would bring heat down on him because they thought that he was making light of the of the disabled. Uh, but he, being a person who couldn't move from like the the neck down, other than his arms and his, he didn't have like fine finger, fine motor control of his hands, but he could use his hands. Uh, he was like. He's like, I'm in a wheelchair. I can make fun of wheelchairs as much as I goddamn feel. Uh, so this is kind of a, a biopic. Uh, and I think we've mentioned a few times uh, our our relationship with Gus Van Sant has uh, been strained uh, <laughs> as of late. Uh I think I, I, don't, I think I think his uh or in general. His general like the audience around him has definitely shrank. He's one of those guys yeah. that's just like, he, he had some goodwill at some point, but he hasn't really uh, knocked it out of the ballpark. And I feel like this is, is that a mo- pun. This, this is no, what you said. He had some, go- he had some goodwill at one point. Yeah, he, he did. He did. And, uh, then he, but he hasn't knocked anything out of the ballpark. And I feel like this movie mm-hmm. was supposed to be kind of like the, 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 the resurgence the, the resurgence is like a good first step back into the fold of like good mm-hmm. movie making not the, the what is it the forest was that one of his oh sea or, of trees sea of trees yeah that everyone uh yeah. took a big shit on that got a zero percent or something uh i liked goodwill hunting a lot uh and i actually liked elephant quite a bit oh. um his other movies i don't think i've actually seen a whole lot of them uh i never watched milk I've never seen my own private Idaho. I never watched that Psycho remake that he did. Finding Forrester, though, that movie's pretty rad. I know you're a big Sean Connery guy. I know. Uh, well, I do know that you're the man now, dog. You're the man now, dog. Yeah. So, anyways, we had a strained relationship with uh, Mr. Gus Van Sant. Uh, I would. I'm happy to report that I actually think this is a good movie. Uh, mm. So it's kind of a biopic, and you follow Joaquin Phoenix, the man himself. And you see he's kind of a, an alcoholic degenerate just going around here and there. I see why you uh, like this movie. Yes, I, I like it for a few reasons. One of them is that. Um, and you kind of get his story in bits and pieces uh, as he's doing um, AA and rehab. So you you, int- you get introduced and he's in his chair and then you go back in time when he wasn't in his chair drinking. And then you go forward when he was and he was drinking again, and then it's kind of him going back and forth with sobriety and uh, finding 
becoming like a cartoonist because uh, that happened after his accident and all that. So you you get a, a little bit of his life before and after and all that. He is he's kind of he's definitely a sad bastard. I think this fits in your in your category, Jared. I think you would like um, a lot of parts of this movie. I don't know if you'd like it all, but would you it, say it's in my wheelhouse? I, I would say that, yeah. So in his in his travels, uh, ripping around in a wheelchair, and I gotta say, one of the peak things in this movie is seeing Joaquin Phoenix going like fifty miles an hour in a motorized wheelchair, just all the time, and his body is flopping around because he's not really like buckled in, and he's hard ripping. Uh, there are a few moments where he does biff out of that chair and eat shit on the cement. Um, but it's part of part of the humor, Jared. Because I don't know if you knew, but this is a comedy. I kind of got the sense from watching that yeah. trailer. Uh, when we finished, which it, was and, awkward, it was like an awkward yeah. comedy, though. It's it's not really a comedy. Like it does have some black comedy stuff yeah. in there, but this is mostly just a drama. Uh, so in his travels, he meets a few friends. Um, the big one is uh, the man of the hour, Jonah Hill. Uh, he leads kind of a new age uh aa group where he has um like a select a select membership about like five six other people who are are, um recovering addicts uh for one thing or another and he lets them come to his huge house uh, because he inherited a lot of money and he just does like group therapy with them uh and what was i gonna say um oh one of the members of his group is udo kier uh, I didn't see him coming in this thing, and he popped up. I was like, oh, weird. No one ever what's sees Udo U- coming. Yeah, what's Udo here, here doing here? But anyway, so you got Jonah Hill. Uh, he's pretty good. He's kind of like a real funky 70s, like, it's like, what is life, man? But he, it's not as preachy or philosophical like that. Uh, you also get a pretty uh, nice performance by uh, my buddy Jack Black. He plays a super alcoholic mm-hmm. in this thing. Uh, and I actually are, are we uh, talking Stephen King levels? Th- this is like uh, you. He's not in this a lot. He's only in it for about five minutes. But what you see is basically Stephen King levels of alcoholism. Uh, him and Joaquin Phoenix, uh, they get into uh, they get into some some hijinks together, going from party to party to bar to bar. Uh, so I I actually I think he was really good in this. Joaquin is good too. Um, I don't know. I actually. Uh, I really enjoyed this movie. I think it has some nice moments where they kind of, they do dip into like the root of, I think, addiction and alcoholism. Uh, and it's not, it, it doesn't really come off too heavy handed or preachy. So I, I like that aspect. There are a few times where there's a, I think there's one Gus Van Sant ism where Joaquin Phoenix gets like a vision of, uh, um, a past uh, family member, and I was like, Ugh, I don't know what this is about. Uh, I, I don't, it's kind of like out of place, so I feel like that was maybe old Gus throwing his hat into the, the ring here, but I don't know. Uh, I actually liked it more than I thought I would. It's not perfect. There are a few times when you're watching this, and you're like, uh, uh, what? But uh, Joaquin Phoenix does have the you know, weirdest we- red hair. When you what? say that, I always like imagine you saying this while watching the movie out loud. I do. Uh, uh what? To no uh, one. To no one at all. I I do sometimes. Uh, I 
luckily Andrea was with me, so I, it was out loud to her. I was like, uh, what? So uh, she gets me, but no, I actually uh, I thought it was pretty good. Um, Gus Van Sant, let's see here. Drugstore Cowboy was good. I remember ages ago. Um, my own private Idaho was nothing special. I've never watched even Cowgirls Get the Blues. Don't want to watch To Die For because I've only heard it's bad. Uh, Finding Forrester? Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, then there's Psycho in between that and Finding Forrester. Those are his like academic movies, his Finding Forrester, his Salinger mm-hmm. movie. Uh, but yeah, Jerry Elephant and Last Days, I thought were all actually pretty good for their time. I don't know if they uh, are holed up now, but uh, they're those are okay. Paranoid Park was fine. Actually, I, God, I don't even think I've seen it. I think I might own it. Milk was good. Milk was actually good. I, I heard Milk was good. Yeah, that's probably his like, and then yeah, a bunch of like Promised Land, Restless, uh, sea of Trees, I think, is the real uh, the real stinker, apparently. Which is like, hey, it's Matthew McConaughey. Remember, uh, remember him in that movie, fucking uh, Serenity, that movie that just came out. That's, oh yeah, that's not about uh, Josh Whedon's TV show. Uh, apparently, that movie is so wild that it's amazing. That's what all the reviews are saying. It's so uh, quote Jarrett's favorite word, batshit. That you, it, it has to be seen. Okay. Yeah, that's what uh, I've heard about that that Serenity movie. Well, but anyways, uh, don't worry, he won't get far on foot. I thought it was pretty good. I was surprised by it actually because I was like, hey, a Gus Van Sant movie that I like. Where can one watch this? Amazon Prime. Oh, okay. So uh, if you get with the time, you can get a student membership of Amazon Prime for like thirty dollars a year or something. That's what I do. So. Just flash them your U of L card. They'll see that you're uh, associated with a university, and you could maybe claim that student, that sweet, sweet student discount. Hmm. But yeah, it was good. I liked it. Uh, hey, Jared, do you want to hear about a movie? Oh, man, so folks, I told RJ he's got two minutes to talk about Glass because I know he's going to talk a long time about Glass. So it doesn't matter what I say. So go on and tell me about Glass, okay. RJ. I, I will cut myself off. I don't think I'll be this long, but let's just say because I'm going to go into spoilers here. So full disclosure, if you want to avoid Glass spoilers, jump 10 minutes ahead. I don't think I'll take 10 minutes, Jared. I'll probably take a good five. And I've already talked for at least one or two. So anyways, Jared, Glass is a steaming pile of shit. Uh, I think it is way worse than Split even. Uh, Neither of us liked Split, even though the rest of the world did. Where to start? Okay. Uh, This movie is so fucking heavy-handed. It is ridiculous. Just tell me everything I need to know. What's this movie about? Comic books. Spell spell it out, though. Comic books. Okay, so uh, this movie, you find Bruce Willis 18 years later. He has started a security uh, business, like a home security business with his now adult version of his son. On weekends, uh, he goes out and tries to bring on the bad guys. The police are looking for him. They call him uh, the Overseer, which I think is the dumbest name anyone could ever have he still wears his green trench coat which i think is the worst costume they sh- they should have very clearly called him the sentinel which is a weird nitpick of mine but it really sticks out to me also why didn't they call james mcavoy's character legion legion is a way better name than the horde well because what the, there's the marvel character charles xavier's son's legion 
Yeah, but that's not copyrighted because Legion is like a like, biblical. Yeah, I, I, thing. It's like Thor. Thor's not copyrighted yeah. either, and and well, Sentinel's also uh, a DC character and a X Men thing. So see, there, there you go. go. But anyways, those are that's what I would have named these characters. Uh, so. So they run this thing, and then on the side, they fight crime. Uh, and then groups, like waves of young teen girls are being kidnapped by the Horde from Split. Uh, it's happened. So this movie takes place, I think, two months after Split. So he's back out on the streets. He's, he's back out on the street, and he. Uh, this is like the third group of kidnapped girls he has. They know it's him. Because the surviving girl from Split uh-huh. told everyone about it. Uh, she also has Stockholm Syndrome in this movie and like puts herself back in the situation because she feels bad for uh, that guy. Uh, that's a whole other thing. I'll get to that. So anyways, he's out on the moose again, kidnapping cheerleaders again uh, to eat through his alter ego. Uh, and what you see is Bruce Willis goes out to look for him. He finds him. They fight, but their fight gets interrupted by, uh, secret agent people led by Sarah Paulson. Uh, and they capture them and they put them in an mental asylum, Mm -hmm. uh, because, uh, she is a therapist and she thinks that people are developing this new kind of syndrome where they believe that they're superheroes. Uh, so she's trying to cure them too. She believes this because she already has one of the other people, Mr. Glass, <gasps> who is heavily sedated. Uh, and so the movie then takes place in the asylum for, I think, 85% of the movie. Uh, it's them three doing group therapy with her. And then on the side, you have the son of Bruce Willis trying to get him out. You have the kidnapped girl from Split trying to come see James McAvoy for some reason. And you have a very old, uh, I think, prosthetic applied mother of Elijah, as they call him in this movie, Elijah. Uh, She's there too. Uh, And you get some weird scenes where they're interacting with each other uh, in the doctor's office. And it seems like, it's like, I don't think you'd have all three of these people in here at the same time talking to them. That seems like a... uh, um, professional like conduct thing anyways so you have that uh i have to say Jarrett, that in terms of this unbreakable split universe i think the way he takes these characters actually makes sense i was like i don't i don't mind the way like the story that he goes with them but i think everything on top of it is so fucking bad um the big thing is the comic book stuff it is so overwhelming like i i swear to god um someone needs to do a ticker and count how many times they say comic books in this movie because my my borderline guess and i'm not exaggerating i would say 110 at least in this two hour and five minute movie do you think m knight's got like puppet accounts on twitter where when people call comics graphic novels he gets really angry oh i guarantee it there's so much in this movie about like how comic books are like life and obsessions and he he tries to make this point about how like comic books are historic documents and that's why they should be believed uh even to the point where the girl from split is in like a comic book store and she gets explained to her what action comics number one is mansplained 
She gets mansplained. Nice. Yeah. And then she goes back to the doctor and goes, did you know that Superman couldn't fly in the first comic? Whoa. It's a building of talents and like powers. And it makes sense that these people would be that too. Uh, I think the biggest reason none of this works is like, even when I revisit unbreakable, we live in a post unbreakable world where every single person in the world knows what a comic book is. So it's like, why, why hit this thing so fucking hard in this movie? It's like comic books, comic books, comic books. Uh, it's horrible. Uh, while I'm on the, the girl from split, uh, I still think that whole story is really gross. I don't like the way that he handles, uh, like the message with that. I've talked about that before. I won't get into it too much. Yeah. Uh, there's one gross part though, where the psychologist, cause the girl asked to see James McAvoy and it zooms in on Sarah Paulson and she goes, but you're the victim. And then it like cuts to black. And I was like, Oh my God, you gotta be fucking kidding me. So anyways, okay, I'm going to wrap this up. My biggest problem with this movie, Jared, is that none of it makes any sense. It's all contradictory, uh, contradicting plot points. And it just, when you, there are things that happen that don't make sense with other things that happen. And it, it gets to the point when you're, I was watching this, I was like, this movie doesn't make any fucking sense. Uh, so the biggest thing, and here's where I'll get into spoilers. Um, these people get brought to the asylum and they have, they go to the trouble of like crafting these super specific uh, anti like breakout things. Like Bruce Willis is in a room that has like water jets shoot at him <laughs> if he tries to get out. Uh, James McAvoy is in a room where he has strobe lights that like make him change his personality. So there's like all this super fancy equipment and like all these like personalized defense systems. And then you have the medical staff, which is two nurses who seemingly work in 12 hour shifts because one of them comes and then one of them goes. So you have these two nurses and then like obviously where the plot goes is that like stuff happens when the nurses are changing shifts and there's like cameras everywhere. And it's like this place can afford to have all this high tech defense system stuff, but they have two nurses. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, so to talk about that even in more detail. So do you want to hear what the zinger of this movie is, Jared? The twist? The big twist is that Sarah Paulson works for a secret organization that knows of the existence of superheroes. And this was an elaborate uh, experiment to see if she could trick them into thinking that they aren't superheroes because that's what they want to do is to keep it under wraps. So they've known about comic book superheroes for years. So that made me question if there's this super secret organization that has all these resources because they, they rent out like a wing of an asylum. They make all these personalized defense systems, but they don't bring in their own fucking staff. It's like these two nurse guys that just work at this hospital to begin with. They don't have any security. And then I think they tr he tries to make the point where it's like, well, they wanted them to get out, uh, which is an actual point in this too. But that doesn't make sense either because 
her thing is like about tricking them, but they also want them to fight to kill each other. So it's like, well, if you have all these resources, just take these three people, put them out in a fucking field somewhere and let them fight each other. So that doesn't make sense. Uh, one of the the ways that they show how powerful these secret organization people are is it, it'll be a restaurant and then two people will get up to leave and then all the dialogue stops. They lock the door. And then that's when they have their secret meetings because everyone in the restaurant is part of the secret organization except for those two people who just left, which doesn't make sense either because it's like, what if that guy never left? What if some guy was like killing time for like three hours in a restaurant and like just waited there? This super secret organization would just wait there too. Why don't they just rent like a fucking hotel room or something or like just go into a field? It doesn't make – I don't get it, Jared. Remember, do you remember when you were tormenting me with tweets? Like with, from like M Night talking about his edits and his drafts and tightening things up, his pa- his oh, make, his multiple passes. He, he made like twenty edits on this thing or yeah. something like that. Yeah. So, but it's talking there's about, so many about these, the the craft, the craft. Yeah, exactly. And there's so much of the stuff that go like it doesn't make any sense of like why go. It's like why go to the trouble of all these things because they try to explain it, but it doesn't make sense. Like one of the things is. Uh, they explain like this super secret organization, right? But then some of the like the nurses, uh, they die and then no one finds them for like 12 hours. And it's like, what? It's like, how, do, how does that work? Or um, so the, the big climax to this, Jared, is that uh, James McAvoy and Bruce Willis have a huge fight outside of the building. And it's all part of Mr. Glass's plan because security cameras were installed to watch them and he records it, uploads it to the internet so people can find out that there's superheroes out there, which I think is really dumb because it's like, is this a world where movies don't exist? Because they don't do anything special in the security camera footage. James McAvoy flips a car and they they fight each other. That's it. So it's like, are people supposed to just blindly believe that these guys are superheroes because they're a bit stronger than other people? Like, why isn't, who's to say it wasn't just faked? Uh, the tightening up thing, there's a scene, it cuts to Sam Jackson, and his teeth are all black and dirty for some reason. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> Something got cut. Uh, but I think the most, like, w- one of the worst things is there's, like, so they all die, Jarrett, all three of them. Uh, <laughs> Sam Sam Jackson gets pushed really hard, and because he has brittle bones, he dies. Um, James McAvoy gets shot after because he was the beast where he's impenetrable. Right. But then uh, the girl talks him down, and then a sniper shoots him. And then, do you want to hear how Bruce Willis dies, Jarrett? Yes, please. Three SWAT men that are part of the secret organization come out and after he's like tired from fighting with uh, James McAvoy, they drag him to a puddle and they drown him in the puddle because his weakness is water. While he's drowning, Sarah Paulson is like, take my hand. And then that's where he sees what that it was all planned by the secret organization. And she's like, did I did I do it? Did I make you believe you weren't a superhero? And it's like it's like none of that matters anymore like what and and then like plus his son is there and that girl is there and elijah's mom is there they see all of it and then nobody does anything to it so there's so many like loose ends to this thing that 
I don't know. I'm done. What? I talked longer than I wanted to, but see, do you see why it's frustrating? Because it's I, I like, why? So they kill. So they just kill him off, and that's the mm-hmm. end. Of, that's the end of the movie. There's no like, mm-hmm. oh, but his son's got superpowers. No, the end of the movie is that is that Sam Jackson uploaded the footage of them fighting. But they're dead uh, outside. They're all dead. But his plan was to show the world that superheroes exist. So the three sub characters go to a train station upload the footage to YouTube and watch the reactions of people receiving the video on their phone. And it's all people going (gasps) like shocked that it's happening. But again, is this a world where movies and TV don't exist? Because nothing that really happens is all that special. And it, and even, even though it does happen, like why would anyone not just be like, Hey, maybe this is Photoshopped or CGI. Photoshopped. Is this photoshopped? Is this that CGI? Yeah. So anyways, glass is real bad, Jarrett. Yeah, it sounds like a bad time. It it was a bad time. So it's still it's still made like way too much money. Because of people like you who went to it in theaters. Oh. Right. <laughs> well, I, I we needed as always, I fell on this sword because uh we needed to have the creeps point of view on uh these hit movies um yeah glass is horrible man like it's so bad i've heard a lot of people are like bruce willis was so flat and it's like well bruce willis doesn't give a shit and plus it's like i don't know if m night Shyamalan like didn't say anything or maybe he wanted bruce willis to be all detached like that which is even worse i don't know that's the least of this movie's problems is bruce willis he's only in this thing for like 20 fucking minutes so, wow. There's a there's some good CGI that I think you would like. Oh, as in of, it's, uh, it's really bad. As in uh, James McAvoy like catching and throwing tables, and then him like crawling up walls and stuff to show that he's the beast. Oh. Uh, Sarah Paulson's like, it's weird. We found on your computer you were looking up a uh, rock climbing. Um, oh. I think that this is possibly why you were doing that. Uh, and then they do, I don't know, there's there's a, a lobotomy in this thing. There is like, I don't know, lots of pseudoscience jargon. It's like, we looked at your frontal lobe. This is where the syndrome is. And it's like, okay, okay, sure. Okay. This movie sounds like so goddamn uninteresting. It is pretty uninteresting. Um, on top of that, it sucks. Yeah. Sucks real big. Like this is your idea to like bring it all together. Wow. Oh him. See, like, so that's what I'm. What I meant was the story behind it. Like these guys all kind of meeting up in, in like an asylum. I actually don't mind that. I just think it's done so poorly, and there's so many things that don't work together. It's like, why would you say this and then do that? Why would you do this and then do that? Like so much of it doesn't work. That it's. I don't know. It it gets frustrating. It's not even like being mad at it. You're just you're frustrated. You're like, why is this shitty? How did this shitty movie get through? Yeah. But I think he'll be. Well, actually, no. This made money. I was gonna say maybe he'll go into exile again, but probably not. He'll probably make these movies forever now. Well, I he will be in my exile. In your exile? Oh. What was the last M Night movie? Well, Split. What was the last one other than Split that you watched? God. The village? 
No, I I I I watched that after Split. Oh right. But yeah, I know before that it was like uh, Signs. Signs. I think yeah. so. Yeah, I didn't watch any of that stuff. Yeah. Oh, I uh, I forgot. M Night Shyamalan has a pretty embarrassing cameo in Glass, where it's him on screen acting like, "Oh boy, what's going on?" And he's just like, really on the nose stuff. He's like, "Hey man, did you used to work in an, uh, a stadium? I used to do some pretty bad stuff in stadiums. Good thing I turned my life around. Am I right, boys?" And it's like, ugh. Ugh. Uh, ugh. Hey, RJ. What? You want to hear about Roma? I watched the first 40 minutes of this last week. Didn't have mm-hmm. time to finish it. So I wrapped it up this week. Um, so this is a one of those best picture nominees, RJ. Mm, it, it sounds like it is the best picture nominee from what people say. You know, see, I went into this. I didn't really know much about it. I didn't realize it was basically full on like Spanish language. Um, even though, like, yeah, it's it's a Mexican movie, surprise. Um, but it's like I don't know. I'm, I would be really shocked if this one. It would be a statement, I guess, saying, "Hey, we're open to all languages." Because even though, like, in America, it's like Spanish is like the uh, official second language. Mm-hmm. Official other an, another official language of America, um, so that's cool. I guess uh, does it make this movie any more interesting? No. <laughs> uh, so this is uh, Alfonso Cuarón, uh, the follow up film for him, I guess from Gravity's Gravity. Last movie. Well, okay, that, that seems like a while. So he, he went and made this like smaller movie. I guess he shot it himself. He's he's his own director of photography. I guess. Um, and, uh, it's like kind of this like big sweeping epic about late 1970s Mexico. Um, it's about 1970s, uh, 1970. Hmm. It's, it's like 1970, 1971. It takes place over the course of, um, it's about a housekeeper to, uh, some, like, I guess white Mexicans. Um, and what do you mean white Mexicans? Well, it's like how Louis CK is Mexican. Oh, that so, type. Yeah, there's the people who like live in Mexico and stuff like that. But then there's like the the different classes, like because there's like the people who are like indigenous Mexico. I'm talking about sure. my ass here. I do not know very much about Mexican history, but I, I feel it, like there's like there's there's like the like the the Spanish families that kind of stuck around Mexico and have lived there for centuries. And then, but there's like the ones that are like oh, the ones that still live in villages and like still like like live in the rural areas and stuff like that, but they come to the cities to work because they want to make a living. Um, I would like to take this moment to distance myself from the comments of Jared Duncan. I would also like to state uh, and reiterate that uh, what we talk about here is characters for an internet show and they are not the opinions held by the hosts. So keep talking about the indigenous Mexican people. um, Yeah. I don't know if there's anything terribly offensive about that. That that's a thing. Don't you well, watch? Don't you watch the, your westerns? I do watch westerns. Yeah, it's like that. So, uh, Gravity was his last one, which is pretty wild because that was six years ago. And then oh, before six. that, he made a movie called "I Am Autism." What? Well, it's only four minutes long. What? <laughs> I here's the tagline on Letterboxd: "I am autism. I'm visible in your children. 
but if I can help it, I am invisible to you until it's too late. I know where you live, and guess what? I live there too. Is, I wonder if Korok this can't be real, is it? Is he an anti-vaxxer? <laughs> oh my god, I don't know. Anyways. So, you talk about Roma, and I'll check out yeah. this I Am Autism so, thing. So this movie, uh, do you remember like years ago now, it feels like I was telling you about that really cool uh, Mexican horror movie I watched that like it had a bunch the of shorts. Door? It had like the short story, and there was the one involving a door, and there was like yeah. this like, and it was like an allegory for like the, the poor Mexicans versus like the upper classes. I do remember that. Yeah, yeah it sounded that, cool. That, that's way cooler than this movie on the whole. This movie's not bad. Uh, I, I'm kind of being mean to this movie because it's just fun to be mean to a movie uh, when it's been so well regarded. Yeah. Um, this movie's, like, good. Everyone will be like, yeah, that's okay. I've heard people talk about, you know, oh, I was watching this because it's a Netflix film. So people watch things like, mm-hmm. I'm going to go cook while I'm watching this movie that is in a language I don't speak. It's like, great. Aww. You're really going to get a lot out of this thing. Um, it's two hours and 15 minutes. Uh, probably doesn't need to be that long. It's got lots of uh, long contemplative shots because that's how movies are made. We've talked about this before, about how uh, tight editing can be, like almost like a treat when you're watching older movies that don't like overstay their welcome with like shots that linger just a little too long and they're a little too, too uh, self-conscious of themselves. You know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. This movie's got a lot of those. A lot of those types of things. And it's like, so this is uh, old Alfonso Cuaron playing at his game of just like letting that camera linger and like move around space in a way that's like, it brings too much attention to itself. And I don't mm-hmm. know, it doesn't feel cinematic in the right way. Uh, he makes fun of himself. He makes fun of gravity in this movie for like five seconds, which was like odd. Uh, but like, I was like, oh, see, but again, and another one of those things that like takes you out of the movie. Um, because you're kind of like, oh, because he made gravity. Now here's like a, like a cheap, like '60s Mexican knockoff of Gravity called Marooned with a scene with like, mm-hmm. with it was like 2001 ish where it's like a man in a spacesuit coming to save another man in a spacesuit in like complete silence, mm-hmm. and you're like, ha ha, oh Coron, you're, you're you you wacky guy. Uh, so anyway. This movie's got one scene that is a real RJ scene that I like. Just like what watching. kind? Uh, the best kind. Uh, I, I don't know. No, it, your mileage may vary, um, but you have sometimes wacky views of things when it involves animals, and you see mm. things, and you see things that aren't necessarily there. So I, I, would I look, see, uh, I see the invisible things, Jared, well, that this, are there. This, this there's a scene in this that's just like it's it's hilarious to me because I'm just like, ah, this is like an RJ scene, but like there, it is just like bizarre, but it has nothing to do with like no actual animals, you know, being stomped to death. No animal, no animal was killed. Uh, so you say no actual, so it does happen in the movie. No, (laughs) this is what I mean. This is what I'm talking about. Go, go eat your, your dog over there anyway uh mm. so there's like there's one scene that's like oh that, that'll make rj either like shake his head or c- complain about it on letterboxd but um i'll complain about it on this podcast yeah uh so roma uh you, you want to hear a spoiler for this movie no all right sure yeah i don't care okay folks so this movie roma aka the dead baby movie so mm, yeah, mm-hmm. so there's a there's like a, a stillborn death in this movie, uh, mm. and you, and you get to see it in like fairly like 
well, not graphic detail, but blatant detail where it's like, yep, that's supposed to be a dead baby. And now you can see what happens and how that's all played out. And it's like all very emotional. It's like very brave cinema. Like you don't, you don't see that sort of thing. And I was kind of mm-hmm. like, okay, I guess this is what people want out of movies, I guess, when they want their serious dramas. I don't know if that's what I want. So it didn't like. Was it anything like the stillbirth in Ordet? No. No, that one uh, was that one more graphic because it doesn't show you cutting the baby out of a woman. Well, yeah, it's just described behind a blanket kind of thing. Hmm. Uh, where this is just like it's not even, like it's like oh she gives birth but the baby's dead. What was your star rating for uh, Roma? Since you're big on star ratings, or did uh, you leave it on? Oh, I, I, I give it a three and a half. I think it's fine. Three and a half. Yeah, it's pretty it, good for me. It, it, yeah, it's not a bad movie or anything like that. Like, like I said, uh, there's like these moments that like build up, and you're like, yeah, he's a really good filmmaker at these moments. Mm-hmm. I just feel like the movie is just like overly long a lot of the time, and there's just some stuff in it that I've just seen. I've, I've seen better versions of this. Um, like sure. the fact that it's called Roma is obviously it's like okay, so that's a reference to Fellini. Uh, mm-hmm. that there's Fellini's Roma, um, and like I was thinking about. Amarcord, when we watched that movie way back in the beginning mm-hmm. of the podcast, and how I was talking about how this really reminds me of like a of a Hernandez Brothers comic, like Love and Rockets, mm-hmm. and this is like, well, this is like Mexico. This is supposed yeah. to be. This is actually Mexico. This is like Hernandez territory. This is uh, Palomar. This is like the world this is supposed to be. And there's like these elements that feel like Hernandez, but it doesn't do it as well as Fellini does, which is odd. And it makes me mm-hmm. think about like those spaghetti westerns that like have like these like really like like dark skinned Italian men playing Mexicans, <laughs> and it's and like what? in in spaghetti westerns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And no, I said they have what dark skinned yeah. Italian men. Yeah, you have these like whatever like they're from the south or north. I can't remember. And it's sure. like, but it's like they're your stand-ins because like obviously everything's shot in Europe. Uh, and it's like this weird flip around of stuff. And I'm like, I was just thinking about this weird connection of Italy and Mexico and cinema. Uh, and that's how, like, I don't know what this movie's going for. I mean, I guess it's like, and like Fellini didn't go backwards and make black and white movies. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why this movie's in black and white exactly. To appeal to the uh, Oscar community. But but do they like black and white movies outside of the artist? Sure, look at the artist. <laughs> outside of the artist, that that's the one. That's the why he's desaturated it to cover up something. I don't know. It's odd. Mm. Um, it's hmm. I don't know. I, I I it's a movie that I guess like it's fine there to watch, but uh, it's nothing I'd be running toward or telling people you gotta watch Roma. Mm-hmm. I, it's just I don't know. It's fine. It's not a bad movie, but okay. Uh, on the on the other hand, wait. What are you done talking about Roma? Yeah, I'm I'm done. I'm done talking about so, this. So a, a Reddit post from three years ago by a user called Abversa on the Harry Potter subreddit is called "Your fave is problematic." Alfonso Cuarón, director of Harry Potter. This person, this individual, goes into detail about the autism movie that Alfonso Cuarón crafted. This individual is an autistic person, and they found his video quite offensive. Uh, I'm not sure what's going on. Uh, I've been trying to read this for like five minutes. Uh, It sounds like Alfonso Cuaron's son has autism, and the video is like showing the things that his son has difficulty with, which doesn't sound like a bad thing to me. But whoever this person who wrote this uh, lengthy, lengthy post on Reddit. 
on Reddit, uh, compares it to Triumph of the Will and Birth of a Nation. And then just scrolling, they're also talking about Roman Polanski, the infamous child molester. Uh, so they have a pretty strong opinion of uh, Alfonso Cuaron's uh, I Am Autism video. How many upvotes does this thing have? This has uh, exactly zero upvotes. Uh, but the top voted comment was seven points is, can I ask, do you generally don't see autism as something we should try to prevent? Uh, and then it looks like these two individuals got into some lengthy discussion. So I just thought I would give you the number one Google result when you search Alfonso Cuaron, I am autism. One individual thought it was rather offensive. Well, it feels like this thing didn't really get any legs. Like, <laughs> that's like the big search on it. It's like, what is this? And then someone on Reddit talking about it with zero upvotes. I think it was maybe removed. Uh, I did see something that it was it was shown at like the World Autism Convention or something like that. But actually, this kind of makes sense for his absence from film because it does state there was a quote in there that said that he took time off to help uh, raise his son. Mm-hmm. And he had the luxury of doing that, he said, because he was a filmmaker who was successful. So he took time off to help raise his son who has autism. Well, I guess uh, that's cool. Yeah, that's cool. It's like uh, Viggo Mortensen who uh, just left acting too. He was like, "I'm gonna go raise my kids." It's like uh, peace Rick, out, dudes. Rick, Rick Moranis after his wife died, he just uh, <laughs> went and looked after his kids. The big double bird to the world, and he said, "Fuck all y'all. I'm Rick Moranis." Yeah, uh, and all mm-hmm. men that we talk about, and not women who do it all the time. <laughs> well, I mean, men are the only ones who get advertised. Yep. Hey, RJ. Speaking of men, <laughs> what? I watched The Favorite. Oh, right. Right. And how was that? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, maybe maybe pretty great? I don't know. Pretty great, hey? Maybe. I don't know. This movie's pretty hmm. good, though. Uh, what do you know about The Favorite, RJ? Uh, not much. I know it is a period piece. Piece? By our buddy, Yorgos Lavamos. Uh, I don't really, I honestly don't know a whole lot about it. Um, I hope to watch it one day. Feel free to talk about it. Maybe don't hit it too hot and heavy. I don't know if there's too much, like, in the way of spoilers I can get into. Um, well, so hit me then. Well, so it's a period piece, as you say. It's about uh, mm-hmm. this Queen Anne lady, real figure, uh, here played by Olivia, Olivia Coleman. Um, mm-hmm. And she's got the gout. And, uh, she's got gout. She's got gout. That is, that is a very, uh, important plot point in this film. Um, she's like, it's arguable, like whether or not she's like suffering some mental illness or what have you. She seems like a very conflicted, messed up, sad, miserable person though. Like we all are. Um, Mm -hmm. and she has a favorite. Favorite what? A favorite. A favorite person. A person who's kind of got her ear and uh, uses that ear to kind of get what they want. And then someone else comes along and uh, they they want to become that favorite. And uh, that's kind of where... Favorite the, what? Favorite. Don't you have a favorite, RJ? A favorite what? A favorite. A favorite what? <laughs> Is this has this divulged into an Abbott and Costello? Apparent, act? Apparently, well, I'm just confused by the quite like a favorite person. Do you mean? Sure. Um, 
Okay. Keep yeah. going. Yeah. An individual, a person. So Rachel Wise is that favorite. And then uh-huh. uh, and then Emma Stone rolls in and she wants to be that person. Because, RJ, when you're the mm. favorite of a very powerful person, you get a little bit of that trickle down to you. But this film gets into, though, is maybe it's not all it's cracked up to be. Because at the end of the day, even though you might be the favorite, that means that you're the favorite person for that person to abuse and treat like shit and make, and they can make you do whatever you want because they know that if you want to stay their favorite, you're going to do whatever they want. So, uh, that's the, probably the, my favorite element of this film, uh, from a thematic standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, this film is just like Yorgos is, uh, owed to Kubrick. He's been dipping into that for a while, but this is like him doing Barry Lyndon with a little bit of like soundscape from, I don't know, uh, eyes wide shut, everything. It's, it was actually a really uh, good theatrical experience. Um, the old movie mill, you know, the, the second mm-hmm. run theater, they had a pretty good sound setup for this. Uh, quite the opposite of uh, my viewing of Annihilation at the more expensive theater a year ago, which was all tinny noise and garbage, and you're paying like mm-hmm. top top dollar for that. And the second run place has a better setup than you do, so kudos. Hmm. Uh, so that was great. Um, I'd also read some people say that they'd seen this movie uh, at and, you know, in like Ottawa and watching it. And they were like, oh, the picture's all pixely. And I was like, oh, great. I can't imagine Movie Mill is going to do much better than that. But mm-hmm. I didn't have any issue at all about bad picture quality. In fact, um, the visuals I've seen of this, it's uh, pretty crisp, pretty nice. Uh, I can't imagine watching this movie in anything other than like uh, high def because this movie is like all about the details, costume, production design, um, the lights and darks it's doing the Barry Lyndon trick of uh, using natural lighting um to uh, and shooting mm. that way using those like that weird like almost fisheye lens that NASA lens to shoot everything He's, that NASA lens yeah right? you gotta get that low light to, just to pick up correctly and like also like in 2001 where it's like oh we're in like rooms that are too small but we don't want to change things up so we're gonna just get the lens to do it um mm-hmm. so but it's like, I mean, it's very like stylized, um, but like, it's fine. It, it didn't take, it doesn't uh, ruin anything. It didn't, it doesn't feel like a, a Roma where it's like the camera mm. trickery is like really kind of like, oh yeah, right. Movie. And then, but I don't know if that's because I'm watching in the theater. So it's like more f- encompassing watching it that way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, the acting, uh, all those actors, those actresses, they are uh, very great. Um, I don't know. I have no complaints on that front. Uh, it's like one of those like great eras of uh, the world where every everyone's like hideous and grotesque with horrible wigs and makeup, and this film fully embraces all of that. Nice. Uh, there's like racing of ducks. Uh, hmm. We got the prime minister with his pet duck that he takes for walks everywhere. Um, nothing, no, nothing untoward happens to that duck. Good. There's, Good. Uh, yeah. there, there, there's, uh, there's some lobster racing that we don't get to see, unfortunately. Hmm. Um, it cuts before that. Uh, all three lead actresses, spoilers, all vomit into something, uh, by the end of the movie, which was like, I'm like, Oh, are they going to do it? Yeah. They all puked. Great. Outstanding. Um, 
Honestly, one of my highlights with the favorite was uh, reading reviews for this on Tribute.ca, where because mm. uh, this movie has been nominated for Best Picture, so that means mm-hmm. that like a lot of uh, normies, a bunch of squares, are coming in to see this movie, um, and uh, they're they're not having it, RJ. Even though this movie by far is the most conventional. Uh, crowd pleasing Yorgos Lanthimos movie you could probably imagine while it's still mm-hmm. being a Yorgos movie. Um because I'm like I can't even fathom these people watching like Killing with Sacred Deer. Like <laughs> they're such worlds apart. Um but yeah no this movie's uh really good. Uh mm. it probably is like it's like the Phantom Thread of this like Oscar batch. It's not gonna win. But uh I mean if it did that would be astounding but I'm, I'm not I'm thinking it's not going to happen I think they're uh, all all signs point to them going a different route uh, because of the things that they're deciding to do with the Oscars in general but that would be cool uh, I, I think you and me were big hot proponents of killing of a sacred deer last which I year. still say is his best movie yep yeah. Yeah. I was uh, yeah I plan to see this the favorite good you may yeah it sounds good, and yeah. uh, I want to watch it. It doesn't come out on Blu-ray for another, like, two months, but... I th- uh, think that it's... There's an HD stream now online, mm, so someone's got it. I'm not huge in those streamers. Maybe well, if I have I mean, time, I'm, I'm, I'm I'll talk- go to the theater. Yeah, I'm talking about those Amazon Prime hey, things. Who'd you go to the theater with? A friend. What's his name? Uh, what's the name I could give you? Um, how about Charles? Mm, who is this Charles? Uh, it's like Tristan. What does he do for a profession? Uh, self-employed. Self-employed. Yeah. How many university degrees does he have? Uh, at least two. Two and a half. Maybe. Two and a half. Hmm. Is he hot? Uh, I don't know. John's pretty hot, I guess. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Is that all you watched? That's about it. Those are some big haters. Yeah. They're not glass. Hey, but, they're uh, both best picture nominees, and it's February. Sure, I'm doing it. When's the? When, sure. when, I mean, so fuck, man. I'm like so close to like. Do I have to watch Black Panther? It's, you should. It's, it's right there, right at my fingertips. I mean, you're already you've already done the heavy lifting. You just got to watch Black Panther, Vice, Green Room, and A Star Is Born. Right? Green Room. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yeah, just watch Green Room. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, it's kind of weird that this movie got nominated three years later, four years later, but cool. Well, it's about time. It's about time. Uh, yeah, and then, yeah, Stars Born and, uh, oh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Good God. Oh, fuck. See, I, I forgot that that even existed. I saw someone post on the internet, internet unironically, uh, a picture of the Blu-ray that they just bought, and it said, I can't wait to watch this again and again. Yeah, there's some people who are like hard into that movie. They're they're mm-hmm. uh, they're in that movie's corner. There's people who've like I've heard have seen that movie. They claim sixty times. Maybe if they go nine more times, then we'll we'll have something to talk about. Maybe. Hey, Ergy, you, you got any of that news there for us? See that blue genie? Oh my! From God. Aladdin. Yeah. So it's yeah. Oh. Well, We've already. I think. I feel like we've talked about it already. Like th- this was already like spoiled by Entertainment Weekly having yeah. Will Smith on the cover, and I remember just like, Jesus Christ, what a bad idea! And then it's like, then everyone saw the trailer because that's when things really count. And mm-hmm. then then they realized how bad this was. Like if you're Disney, 
and you see nothing but this like negativity toward your movie and the fact that people are like, they are you going to be like, well, let's uh, market it like we know it's a piece of shit. And like mm-hmm. that we're in on the joke that we haven't been tricked into making this thing. Like, what do you think if you're Disney, if you're like this executive who sees this and you're not like mm-hmm. that, you can't be this dumb to realize, Oh God, good God. What have we done? Um, what, mm-hmm. do you, what do you do? What's your next move? Uh, I outsource it. Yeah. You just, re, you the re, whole thing, you redo it, repackage it. Re, well, actually I'm surprised they haven't because that's been their shtick for a long time with the star Wars movies. They've just totally abandoned ship, redone them and put them back out there. So I don't, they have some kind of confidence in this thing, but I said from the moment that teaser hit, I was like, this movie looks like shit based on the, uh, the outfits and the, environment like the way that the markets were shown i don't know it looked really weird to me i was like that may be what that era and place looks like but i like the cartoon is so ingrained in my brain and that i'm not being like oh ghost female ghostbusters ruined my childhood it's just like when i saw that teaser i was like oh this doesn't look good this doesn't feel the way it should feel jared it doesn't bode well yeah, but oh. I I heard I don't know I saw like one of the biggest internet like critiques that people kept it was on Twitter it was on Reddit it was fucking everywhere it was this big post about how the genie should be CGI and because it's non anthropomorphic and I was like that's not what that word means I was like Anthrop- anthropomorphic is like giving human characteristics to other things like saying your cat has a personality it's like the genie is objectively a human. Or a supernatural like, entity. By appearance. Yeah. But like even in the cartoon, he had human appearance. So I was like, what are, what, it's like, what are people talking about? But yeah, he does look kind of goofy. Y- yeah. Usually but they're not going to stop because like, Dumbo blue. comes out next month, Aladdin soon, and then Mayan King oh, all man. this year, right? No. And then move. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All this year, and then I think they're already filming or have already filmed Mulan. That comes out next year, and then I can't remember. Um, I don't know. They're just live-actioning all their shit, but I know Mulan is next, I think, for next year, and I think there's two other ones also. Hunchback? Oh, that is actually one with uh, Josh Gad, I think. <laughs> uh, I didn't, I'm not making that up. That's actually what I'm pretty sure is happening. Oh, uh, I thought maybe you were saying Josh Gad's a hunchback. No, no, he he's like producing, directing, starring in oh. like Disney's live action Hunchback movie. Huh. I, I don't always make shit up and talk out of my ass. I know Andrea says that a lot. Yeah. Uh, well, well, it's more you don't listen. Oh, no, I'm, I'm pretty good at and, listening. And, and can't read. It's not that I can't read, Jarrett. It's that I, I'm lazy. Yeah. Is honest to goodness it's it's just that i'm lazy and i don't want to read uh oh how about the uh how about the oscars deciding that cinematography and editing don't really matter yeah it's so weird that they picked those like i know everyone was in a huff it's like cinematography and editing are like the backbone of the uh the academy it's like isn't every one of those categories like the Every you can't do one without the well, other. Like, yeah, like getting rid of hair and stuff like that. It's like such a like, oh yeah, that work doesn't really matter. And it's like you know what? Just because like it, fucking yeah. shouterheads at home don't care. It's like they don't care about any of this shit. Like they just mm-hmm. want to see. They want to see the famous people. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I know. Like, so that's what I mean. It's like when I saw that, I was like, yeah, that's really dumb that they would cut stuff. But I think cutting any category is dumb, e- even like the ones literally people don't care about but are completely essential to filmmaking, like sound editing and sound design. Like anyone who's watching the Oscars probably doesn't care about that unless yeah. they're involved in it or they actually care about film. So I was like, why wouldn't they, if they were going to cut anything, cut that. But even, I, I don't see why cutting any of it, it helps at all. Like they just don't know what they're doing. They cut their host, they cut awards and I don't know. They need to rebrand, I think, Jarrett. Rebrand. Okay, so here's the thing. Live at upcoming live action movies from Disney. Dumbo, Aladdin, Lion King this year. Lady and the Tramp this year too, apparently, in October. Then we have Mulan, uh, Maleficent 2, Cruella, a 100 and Dalmatians prequel about Cruella DeVille, featuring your girl Emma Stone, actually. Uh, Pinocchio, Hunchback of Notre Dame, Levo and Stitch. What the fuck? And then Little Mermaid. I say that I actually like Levo and Stitch a lot, but it's a weird one to throw in there with uh, these other ones. Anyways, man, good times. Yeah, good times. Very regressive. Mm-hmm. Ah, <laughs> uh, gross. People couldn't see what you did there, but I saw. I saw. That's fine. Yeah. So, want to go to Africa? Not really. It doesn't look very much fun. Hey, you know what's really dumb? Uh, I'll talk about it in the next one. I'm getting on to Last King of Scotland here. Okay. I'll uh, talk about it in the other review. After the break, we're going to see the crocodiles. Uh, and, the maybe, croc- and maybe feed a minister to one. Ooh. Did that happen? <laughs> I don't know. They, they just found him in the river. Mm, that that happens. I've I've wound up in rivers. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Lots of laughing to look forward to. Funny. Something to see. Edie, 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 I mean, most amazing man there's ever been. Edie, General, 
Criterion Creeps podcast, and tonight we're talking about General Idi Amin Dada, a self-portrait from 1974, directed by Barbet Schroeder. The synopsis for the film from Letterboxd, filmmaker Barbet Schroeder shows the Ugandan dictator meeting his cabinet, reviewing his troops, explaining his ideology. Mm. Okay. So, RJ. Uh-huh. Who is General Idi Amin Dada? Like, to me, or who is he? <laughs> like, explain. Let's take a look here. What what is okay. what does Wikipedia have to say about oh, no. Idi Amin Dada Umi, born in 1928, died August 2003? 2003? Wow. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. Okay, uh, keep going. He was a Ugandan politician and military officer. He was the president of Uganda from 1971 to 1979, and his rule gained notoriety for its sheer brutality and oppressiveness. Um, let's see here. Amin was born either in uh, Kuboko or 
uh, Kampala to a Kakwa father and Lugbara mother. In 1946, he joined the King's African Rifles of the British mm. Colonial Army. Initially a cook, he rose to the position of lieutenant, taking part in British actions against Somali rebels in the Shifta War and then the Mau Mau rebels in Kenya. Following Uganda's independence from the United Kingdom in 1962, Amin remained in the armed forces, rising to the position of major and being appointed commander of the army in 1965. Aware that Ugandan President Milton Obadi was planning to arrest him for misappropriating army funds, Amin launched a 1971 (laughs) military coup and declared himself president. During his years in power, Amin shifted from being a pro-Western ruler, enjoying considerable Israeli support, to being backed by Libya's uh, Gaddafi, Zaire's uh, Siko, and the Soviet Union and East Germany. In 1975, Amin became the chairman of the Organization of African Unity, a pan-Africanist group designated to uh, promote solidarity among African states. During the 1977 to 1979 period, Uganda was a member of the United Nations Commission on Human Rights. In 1977, when the UK broke diplomatic relations with Uganda, Amin declared he had defeated the British and added (laughs) CBE for Conqueror of the British Empire to his title. Radio Uganda then announced his entire title, His Excellency, President for Life, Field Marshal Alhaji Dr. Edi Amin Dada, VC, DSO, MC, CBE. As Amin's rule progressed into the late 70s, uh, growing dissent against his persecution of certain ethnic groups and political dissidents, along with Uganda's <laughs> very poor international standing due to Amin's support for the terrorist hijackers in Operation Antembe, led to unrest. When Amin uh, attempted to annex Tanzania's uh, Kagura region in 1978, Tanzanian President uh, Julius Nair had his troops invade Uganda. They captured Kampala and ousted Amin from power. Amin then went into exile, first in Libya and then in Saudi Arabia, where he lived until his death on August 16th, 2003. Amin's rule, RJ, you can interrupt me anytime, was characterized by rampant human rights abuses, political repression, ethnic persecution, extrajudicial killings, my favorite, nepotism, mm. corruption, and gross economic mismanagement. The number of people killed as a result of his regime is estimated by international observers and human rights groups to range from 100,000 to 500,000. Hmm, that's a pretty big range, Jarrett. Well, it's it's hard to pinpoint. You know? Is it? Yeah, yeah you, know, you know, it's hard to tell. Hmm. You okay, know? keep going. Well, that's that, that's a that's a good uh overview of uh this man that, uh, that we got to spend an hour and a half with uh in this that about says this, it. this documentary that's like kind of right in the middle of his uh rule uh in Uganda. How did he die? Uh I don't know. Because you said 2003, and yeah. I, I'm not going to lie. I was a little bit surprised by that. What was he, born in 28? Yeah, he had a good run. Yeah. Well, I just mean because, like, when was he outed? Like, 79. Late eight, 79? Yeah, so he still had, like, almost 30 years after yeah. that. Yeah, he feels So around. what was he doing? Hey, living life. Maybe, like, hanging out by the pool. Hanging out by the pool. You think he was still running relays? Racing the boys? Probably sticking to those countries where uh, war crimes commissions couldn't get him. Mm. Which ones are those? Um, You know, the left, the libtards. Oh, he's trying to get these war criminals. Oh, mm-hmm. gen- genocide. Mm. 
Is this where I give my disclaimer that uh, I don't agree with your comments and that we oh. are online characters? <laughs> Personas. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, RJ, so this is mm-hmm. the third time I've seen this particular documentary. Explain. Um, well, you know, RJ, uh, sometimes you got to look into the eyes of evil and uh, kind of like learn something about this world. And sure. uh, the fact that there's like this documentary about this this man who's just like, uh, I, I feel like uh, Idi Amin's name doesn't, you know, doesn't have like quite the um, cachet as like other like uh, dictator types uh, mm-hmm. that the world has created, um, especially nowadays. He doesn't get really brought up too much. Um, but uh, back in the day when I was when I was a young and growing up, he was like he was still kind of like, oh, he you'd be like, who's this guy? And you're like, oh, he's a bad dude. People would still talk about him. Mm-hmm. But now it's okay. like he's been dead now for what, 16 years so uh, I guess yeah. allegedly allegedly so anyway so this was like one of those like strange like artifacts that you hear about that like the video store would like somehow have and you're like mm-hmm. what, what is this all about um so like I, I can't remember the first time I watched this but I remember watching it and then uh actually I watched it back in like 2012 um I think uh hmm. around the time I probably watched that last uh King of Scotland film with Forrest Whitaker who kind of helped bring uh uh, generally mean back into the limelight mm-hmm. for a brief time. But, uh, yeah, so this is just like, kind of like one of those like st- strange documentaries, uh, where, uh, Barbara Schroeder, a French filmmaker got this access to, uh, make this film about this like brutal dictator who like mm-hmm. otherwise like seems to come off as like this really like jovial fun guy like fun guy like very um actually Bar- barbara schroeder describes him as he has like an innocentness to him like he mm-hmm. seems like he's like almost like childlike which i guess is a polite way of saying not very smart or like mm-hmm. like there's something like you know he's like hmm, i don't know if this man should be like you know running a country like <laughs> well that's never stopped other people yeah so what what's this documentary about well, what's that plot about here? <laughs> the film is an extended character study of its subject. It follows Amin closely in a series of formal and informal settings combined with several short interviews in which Amin expounds his unconventional theories of politics, economics, and international relations. Amin is supervising the Ugandan paratrooper school, boating through a wildlife park, playing the accordion in a jazz <laughs> band at a formal dinner, and staging a mock assault on a small hill representing the Golan Heights. He discusses his plans for an attack on Israel, and his letter to Kurt Waldheim, then Secretary General of the United Nations, sent in response to the 1972 Munich massacre, which commended Hitler, is touched upon. On TV, it is announced Amin is in the possession of a manual which de- details Israel's plans, the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Uh, included in the film are many candid scenes of Amin and his military in action. The paratroopers practice their exercises on a slide similar to those that would be found in a children's playground. A welcoming committee of villagers is forced to flee the dust and backdraft from Amin's helicopters as it lands. A cabinet member picks his nose at the end of a pencil during one of Amin's speeches in a cabinet meeting. In one sequence, Amin upbraids his cabinet ministers for their failure to represent Uganda correctly to the world. Even while uh, with his foreign minister for his public relations failures, he is jocular and uh, joking as always. Two weeks later, the documentary points out the foreign minister's body was found floating in the River Nile. Um, so yeah, this is just like I don't know 
it feels like it's about three scenes. <laughs> like there's like there's three very long interviews uh, that this mm-hmm. movie it kind of like edits around. You get this like huge info dump at the beginning that just kind of like outlines. It's like, oh hey, here's some like uh, political executions that are going on in a field somewhere with people just like with black hoods over their faces being just shot to death for some reason um and just talking about people being disappeared and uh then you're like talking so this narration like lays out this narrative that like obviously i don't think uh mr amin was aware that this is the position that uh barbet schroeder would approach because mm-hmm. i guess he just didn't know better um and then, yeah, you just get these series of interviews with him in his office, at his home, uh, on the boat for like, I don't know, like 15, 20 minutes, uh, each of these intervals, him just talking, like him in his backyard, doing like a interview that's also being televised uh, around the country. Um, and then him meeting with his ministers. And then uh, probably the most awkward part of this film is when he's addressing the room full of doctors. Mm. And and his like obvious like weird awkwardness and sweatiness and heavy breathingness uh, as he's like meeting men who are, are clearly more intelligent than he and mm. him and uh, <laughs> I don't I don't know I thought he handled that pretty tactfully by telling some jokes and get, getting them on his side yeah he really uh, he really like cut the questions were asked and he really kind of went around the answers, you know, like, like a real, a real diplomat, a real politician, Jared. So I thought, I thought that was pretty resourceful of him to, uh, yes, dodge the, uh, the things. Yes. You see, (laughs) yes, you see, you were very smart. Yeah. Uh, I also like that when he said, plus don't get too drunk. You are not too drunk as a doctor because no one will trust you. (laughs) See, he really, he totally sidestepped the issue. What are you going to do about all the doctors? Hey, just don't get too drunk. You're going to be okay. That's, that's right. advice to live mm-hmm. by, Jared. Yeah. Talking about the crocodiles and how mm-hmm. those things, they just have their mouths open, waiting, just being being, being crocodiles. I, um, I actually, to interrupt again, yeah. that was probably like my favorite scene in the movie where he's like, do you want me to get that crocodile to move? And he's like, okay. He's clapping his hands, but it's sitting there with his mouth open. And he says, the crocodile, he's sleeping. And then he laughs. laughs. Why do you ask me about Hitler? Why do you ask me about Hitler? And then he laughs. And then he laughs. Such, such a charming laugh. Yeah. So, uh, so this is uh, Schroeder's first film that makes up a string of films in the Criterion Collection. Uh, future creeps like Matrice, Coco the Talking Gorilla. Uh, and these are all kind of films uh, before he got brought into Hollywood to make films like Barfly, Reversal of Fortune, Single White Female, and a bunch of bad '90s thrillers. Mm. But uh, so this is back when I guess uh, he was a young maverick filmmaker t- trying to tell the truth about the world, and he got this ridiculous opportunity to come in and uh, make a film about this guy. Um, so. Yeah, Shorter talks about, like, uh, on the DVD, there's an interview with him uh, that came around, probably was done around the time that this uh, DVD came out, talking about mm-hmm. the this the reaction to this film in France, uh, like, on screens, where like, it played for, like, I don't know, like, a month straight or something like that, and, like, audiences were just laughing, because it's just, like, this guy, what's this fucking guy's deal? He's, like, fucking hilarious. And it's, like, it's some, it's some real, like, great great dictator by Chaplin uh, vibes mm-hmm. of this, this, this man who just talks and talks and talks yeah i kind of i thought it had uh that 
the style comedy with like The Office, mm. where it, it's just like a day with Michael Scott, but it's uh, generally the uh, Min Dada. Yeah. And he's just, you know, talking about stuff. And then you can see the reactions of people around him, like m- meet eyes, and they know that it's like, yeah, we all know what he's talking about is bogus. Don't say anything. Mm-hmm. Don't get us in trouble. We'll just keep. Kill just us. go with it. Just go with it. Yeah. It's a little more high stakes, I guess, than The Office. But yeah. uh, you know, I can see why French people thought it was a comedy. Yeah. It's pretty funny. It's it's a it's a strange film. It's yep. uh, it's just like oh, he's got unlimited access to this, and this is how this guy wants to present himself. Yep. Um, he even does. Uh, old Idi Amin does the music for the film. Which is pretty terrific. Mm-hmm. I mean, any guy who can play an accordion is uh, pretty talented. Yeah, it's very uh, jaunty. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cinematographer uh, for this, Nestor uh, Almandros, he's the man who also shot sh- uh, shots, such, such films as Ooh, da- Days of Heaven and uh, wow. old Kramer versus Kramer, Sophie's Choice, Future Creeps, like The Last Metro, and uh, subsequent shorter films like... Uh, uh, Matrice and Coco the Talking Gorilla and Cockfighter. What's that film? Uh, it's about uh, cockfighting. Is that like that episode of Kenny versus Spenny in uh, the later seasons when they have a cockfight? Well, it's got war notes in it. So does that episode of Kenny versus Spenny. Well, there you go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, yeah. so yeah, I mean, like, I don't, like, love this documentary by any means. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's more like a strange artifact of like history, I guess that this thing exists. Correct. Um, I mean, like, I guess it's like a starting point. If you one wants to get into general ED mean data, uh, this is kind of like a, a pretty good resource. Uh, I think it's better than most of the like movies that get made about him, which mm-hmm. we'll talk about. I've actually seen quite a few of them. Uh, so I'm not sure how familiar you are. So there was like this whole thing, uh, that's mentioned like in the Tibet, there's like the raid on the Tibet. There was like a terrorist hijacking of a plane that was making its way to Israel and a bunch mm-hmm. of like, I don't know, PLO or like just like Muslim terrorists hijack a plane and, uh, it's kind of forced to eventually refuel in, in Tibet. And so we have, uh, the, the, the grand master of like negotiations, uh, Mr. Idi Amin, who's like playing both sides of this and like being himself, uh, as you can mm-hmm. really imagine him dealing with these things when it's like, but he's talking about Hitler and killing the Jews. <laughs> and he's like pretty okay with these guys who have just like hijacked a plane filled with Jews. And so, uh, we have some of that, uh, sweet, uh, Mossad action, uh, where they uh, take the plane and hijack it. And you have your left, I guess, with general mean shaking his fist going Israel, that, that's a that's the that's the most accurate nice. depiction I think you'll ever hear about the historical events of the raid mm-hmm. on Tibet, which has been like turned into like countless TV movies. Uh, like the Israeli film industry, like made mm-hmm. so many of those, uh, and they always have different guys playing general uh, old general eating mean. My favorite, uh, I think it was just like straight up the raid on Tibet, which has got. Uh, my boy Charles Bronson uh, is one of like the, as General Idi Amin. No, no as uh, one of the oh. like, American, as uh, one of the American uh, dudes involved with this raid. Uh, but it's got okay. y- Yafit Koto uh, of Homicide Life on the Street and Alien Fame as General Idi Amin. Uh, hmm. Yeah, he, he's great. Such a he's he's got that innocent smile. 
that looks like he could eat you. Um, nice charm. Yeah. And then uh, you've got uh, other films like the, the Rise and Fall of Idi Amin, this, uh, which you almost watched, actually, uh, instead of the proper <laughs> film. Because on, on <laughs> YouTube, this is mm-hmm. it's listed as General Idi Amin Documentary. And it is, uh, no, it is the rise and fall of Idi Amin, uh, and it is a total exploitation movie that really, like, delves into, like, the uh, the tales and allegations of Idi Amin being a cannibal uh, mm-hmm. and uh, eating his enemies and just being, like, a a, a real Caligula type. Um, hmm. and, then, and then you get, like, uh, so-called classy films, like Last King of Scotland starring Forrest mm. Whitaker. I have something to say about yeah, that. But. Yeah, but, but, yeah, before we get to that, I guess... Um, I'll tell you, RJ. Hey, what what did what do you think uh, old General Idi Amin thought of this movie? What did he, what do you think he thought? So I think it depends if it was presented to him as the footage it was, or if it had the narration in it. Well, there's two cuts of this. Well, I guess there's technically three cuts. So there was the version that's an hour long that uh, Barbara Schroeder gave to Idi Amin that was for use in Uganda, mm-hmm. the, the, the propaganda piece that he wanted, and then there's the film that. He, Shorter made the one that we get to watch, mm-hmm. which was released uh, in Europe, and uh, but he had of course agents being a paranoid dictator who went out and saw this version, transcribed it, made notes of it, gave it to General mm-hmm. Idi Amin. General Idi Amin uh, made a phone call, wrote a letter <laughs> saying, "Hey, I want you to cut some stuff," <laughs> and sure. Barbara Schroeder's like, "No, that that's not what our contract said." Uh, allow me to read uh, a description of what <laughs> happened at that point. In response, Amin rounded up almost 200 French citizens living in Uganda and confined, uh, confined them to a hotel surrounded by the Ugandan army, supplying them with Schroeder's home telephone number and explaining <laughs> that their release was conditional on Schroeder uh, going along with this. Uh, in the face of this dilemma, Schroeder made the requested cuts, replacing the two and a half minutes of excise footage. It's basically that stuff at the beginning with the like executions, I'm sure. Uh, yeah with the title cards recrediting the gaps to Amin. On Amin's fall from power, Schroeder restored the missing material, and most versions seen today now contain everything. Uh, yeah, because like, Schroeder's like, yeah, you know, it's just a movie. It's not worth someone's life. Like, he's, he's not like a... Mm-hmm. He's not an idiot. He's not a callous, horrible man, but... I think it's kind of hilarious, though, that his solution was like, get me all the French people. All Here is his number, yes. his home phone yes. number. You call him. You tell him what's going you on. Tell him, you tell him what the deal is. And then, like, he's just like, I got no part of this. Yeah. He's like, you guys are the ones who are going to deal with this. I, I, I think it's, like, it's the level of petty that I think Seinfeld was trying to achieve in every episode of, of Seinfeld. Uh, it's hilarious. And, uh, I mean, like, it's horrible because he was a bad dude. Not but ha, at the same time, funny. But it's just, like, <sighs> unbelievable. Larger than life, Jared. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What did you think of this movie, RJ? <laughs> um, what can you say about uh, this docudrama? Uh, I liked it. Docu- uh, docudrama. Or this documentary. Um, I liked it. It was, uh, I uh, live under a rock. I live a very <laughs> sheltered life. And I didn't know anything about this general idiom in, I mean, uh, Am I naive and ignorant? Probably, but uh, I'm well, okay with that. I would, I would definitely say that in the uh, the Canadian school curriculum, there is not a lot on Africa in general. There is not. 
uh, at all. The little I know about Africa is about the the primate uh, wildlife. So I don't really know. When we get to Coco, I can have I'll have lots to talk about. Uh, but this one, yeah, no, this this was actually the first I had even really come across this stuff because I never watched Last King of Scotland until today, and I didn't really know the story. But um, I think I think the the documentary does a really good job of contrasting the the online persona, the real life persona of uh, General Idi Amin, and then the the side the side part of that, which I think is like where the movie like last King of Scotland, I think gets it wrong. But I I like the documentary because I think there's, there's a real like subtle subdued quality to his narration where he, it's, it's honestly, it's very comedic where it gets dropped in at certain times where it'll be like him talking. It'll be uh, EDM. I mean, talking for like 20 minutes about the most ridiculous shit. Mm-hmm. And then he'll just be like, oh yeah, and uh, they do this. And then he'll come in and he'll be like, they didn't. <laughs> it's like uh, it's like Ron Howard and <laughs> Mitchell, like when they were making Arrested Development, it's like, this was our, that's our favorite movie. So like, it doesn't have, he doesn't like cut in as a narrator very often, but when he does, it's almost, it's like, it's sharply comedic because it, it, it's just to like counter whatever he says or to like kind of say what actually happened. Um, and I like how blunt he is too, where he'll, he'll say something and he'll be like, yeah, we're the best here. And he'll come in and be like, they were the worst and they still are because <laughs> of what he did. Uh, and it's, it's real like, it's like I said, it's horrible, but it's actually kind of hilarious the way that it, it, it fits together. Um, I think general Amin is a kind of person that it's someone that I actually like, I I've met a few people like this in real life. They exist. They're out there. Uh, I think publicly and obvious connections to current political leaders uh, are abound. I think the best and the best one I think is when he's talking about his physical stature and he, and he's talking about like how he's so big and so strong that he will take out anyone. And I was like, who else is talking like this? He's the, he was the, I'm the healthiest president there's ever been healthiest president there's ever been. And like the level of his, his delusion to things are so funny where he's like, uh, he, he's talking and he's like, the reason I am so popular or the reason I am so loved. <laughs> and, uh, and then he'll, but then in the other things, he's like, you must tell everyone that they love the leader. And it's, it's like, I, I don't know. It, it honestly, this thing plays like a Simpsons episode to me, the way that like the way he, he presents himself and how it's so kind of, clearly not real but in his mind it is real it's it's kind of amazing Jarrett. it's kind of amazing that he is like that well yeah so, yeah i've talked about some of the things that i thought were really funny but uh one thing that i thought was hilarious was at the five minute mark when you see the jazz band their band their banner is the suicide, suicide revolution jazz band. jazz band yeah uh, I thought that was amazing. Uh, the crocodile quote where he's sleeping. I thought that was super funny. Uh, all his talk about how he knows when he'll die mm-hmm. and his, uh, oh, fuck. all like the talk of dreams. dreams. Oh, that's the thing. Like, like when I the narration, saw it in my dream. Oh, that's the, and then, and then, uh, goddamn, uh, 
uh, Schroeder narrating. He's just like, and after after a dream, he decided to do this, and you're just like, and there's no like, no like he said this after you know he said after a dream, he just like lets that moment yep. like make you go wait a minute, like he had a he has a vision like like Martin Luther King. Oh no. He he dreamt this last night. He it's says a literal dream. He literally had a dream, and then he went and did that. And he talks about dreams, and you're just like, oh, oh that's mm-hmm. that's not good. Yeah, it's, but it, it's just him, man. Uh, I think the best like uh, visual representation of who he is is in the the pool race, where he's like his swimming technique. It's quite poor. Non-existent. Because he's like all sideways. And it's it's amazingly, again, it's hilarious how he, not only is his swimming bad, but he pushes the other people out of the way, like almost unintentionally. But then he still reaches the end and he's like, I win. He's like, I won. Because <laughs> he's like unaware of how bad he actually is at it. <laughs> well, but like no one's going to tell him otherwise. No. Be, and it. It's on. It, it's. It seems like a joke. It seems like that uh, Sasha Baron Cohen movie, like The Dictator or whatever. Yeah. It's like that level of stuff, and it's like I guess it's all based on a general Edia Mean Dada. I guess. I don't know. Yeah. It's it's again, it's horrible because <laughs> he he killed many many people, but uh, the presentation of uh, his life is is pretty funny. It's pretty funny, Jarrett. So, uh, long story short, I did like this movie. I thought it was good. Like documentaries, whenever they do pop up in in like the creeps, they're sometimes I don't know. They're tough to talk about sometimes when you actually try to compare them to uh, fictional films because it's like, well, this is a real thing that really happened, and these are all real people. Where well, when you go to like Armageddon, you're like, well. Well, it's like the difference of talking about like an essay on a topic and a fictional story. Like they're different <laughs> things. Like they're the way they're written and approached. But there's also like, uh, like rhetoric that that's used, yeah. and you, you can talk about like, hey, how was the making of this as a documentary? You can talk about it in those terms. So you're, you're, it's far more of a technical conversation than a maybe like film is because it's like, yeah, it's also subjective. But like, I feel like documentary is like, it feels less subjective to me. Because even though like the filmmaking itself is very subjective, but you know whether or not it works, but I don't know. I guess people argue about whether or not things work for them or not. Like Michael Moore, people sometimes sure. hate how Michael Moore inserts himself into films and he becomes such a, a impediment to like people being able to get information. Um, and then or, like, or like my M. Night Shyamalan inserts himself into movies. Yeah, but that, so I keep going about Michael Moore and the impediment and all those things. All those saying. things, yeah. Just uh, when filmmakers like some people do not like when, like, what's his name, uh, Morgan Big Mac Man Freeman. Oh, Spurlock, Spurlock, yeah. How yeah. he like that type of that school of documentary filmmaking. Some people don't mm-hmm. like that. Um, even though sometimes it can be, it can work. It's kind of like we've been trained watching enough TV that like we know that like television mm-hmm. hosts do that stuff all the time. Um, it's like documentary is entertainment, and this is like I mean, entertainment. And it's like because it's like him making this self portrait of himself using another filmmaker who's like, well, you gave me this opportunity to make this, and now I'm going to like lay out what we know and like i'm sure that he wasn't even aware of like how 
the atrocities that would be like done over the course of like the next decade this guy was in power probably not but uh but, but yeah like my my constant thing like every time there's all those shots of like the soldiers and these guys who you know are just like, mm-hmm. like they're not well off people and like you know that you look at their faces and they have to like whatever they're doing in their job they have to be like well this is my job i can't do anything about it but you know when like they're mm-hmm. home with their like families and they're like oh my god i have to go to work today i have to, I have to go deal with this shit again mm-hmm. and you're just like and if you were if they were called out by like the documentary like big like, hey what do you think about this they say like oh he's a he's a great man like they yeah. I, I can hear what they'd be saying because it's like what well, they're not going to say anything they gotta. They have to, and because it's yeah. like because that's 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 what happens in uh, but when you're under an autocrat, uh, under like mm. uh, this brutal dictator, it's like oh yeah, he'll have you killed if he doesn't like what you're thinking. And you know what? You could do everything right, but maybe he'll have a dream, and he'll and he'll mm. be like, no, in my dream, you try to kill me, so I have to stop that. And you're like, oh well, I'm not going to do that. Well, my dream yeah. says otherwise, and then off you go to like your post in the field with a hood over your face. <laughs> it, it makes sense. Uh, why do you ask me about Hitler? <laughs> why do you ask me about Hitler? What uh, is this? His his laugh. So so uh, charming. <laughs> he is. He's really charming. Like I get it. I do, I do understand why yeah. he like he appealed to people. He's like, got he's got moves. Him, he's like, got him, grace. Him, him talking about saving up money to like feed the British poor. Well, he, he he personally donated a lot of money to the British, and all of uh, Uganda was giving up some of their food to help mm-hmm. the less fortunate, the, you know, the Brits. That's right. The Brits. Well, RJ, uh, yes? you, you also watched Last King of Scotland, which I saw so, some time ago, uh, and I really don't remember it. But you mentioned to me that I gave it two and a half stars on Letterboxd. Uh-huh. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that seems right. I don't remember a goddamn thing about it other than Forrest Whitaker's in it. But it felt like uh, my memory is like, it's just like a by the numbers kind of like nothing special drama. And that's like, that's about it. So I don't think that movie's good at all, to be honest. Um, okay. And I think on my personal Letterboxd, Everyone I followed gave it like four stars, mm. three and a half, four stars. And then you were the outlier there. And I was like, huh, I wonder if that's just Jarrett doing his thing or if he's uh, true. I think two and a half stars is maybe even generous. I might, I think I would maybe rate this thing two stars. Um, and there's a there's a few reasons for this. One, I think it's a poorly made movie. Uh, my biggest problem with this is it's all like zoom in, zoom out, close up type things. And then like quick, quick pans. So it, it'll be like James McAvoy, and then it'll cut to a different character. Oh, and it'll be like, shit. Whoosh, whoosh. You, saw, you saw two James McAvoy movies in like a week. I In a week, yeah. He's uh, he's rising up. And so here's the thing. I think James McAvoy is a good actor now. In the time of Last King of Scotland, uh, I think young James McAvoy is pretty fucking unbearable Charles to watch. Charles Xavier? Ugh, he, like, he has this weird... Um, composure to him where he's kind of always making pouty lips and in this movie he's flipping his hair a lot which isn't even long like it's ear length (laughs) but he's like flipping his hair and he's always really smug which i guess is like the character but uh i was like i was like i don't like him and um so yeah there's there's like all these i don't like i don't like the way the film is made because 
the way the camera cuts between people and then it's like, you, you know what I mean, right? Where it'll zoom in on someone's face and then it'll zoom out and then it'll zoom in on the next person's face. And it's like, ugh. It's like, just stay still. That's, Fuck. That, see, that's like docudrama filmmaking. It's that yeah. verite. It makes you feel like you were there, fly on the wall. Yeah. I I I got that where it's in. Su- supposed to be like guerrilla film filmmaking, yeah. and but I, I don't like it. I think it's distracting, and I it, it kept taking me out of it. And uh, the other thing that kept taking me out of it was the music because the music is like it's it's all over the place. Where it's like you know how I always make that Seinfeld music where it's like boom ba dum ba dum dum. It's like that at some points, and then at the serious points, it's like. And it's it just, it seems really labored. <laughs> I know these are weird things to get mad about, but so the biggest problem with this Mooney, Mooney, this movie in general is it's totally all over the place where there's like, there's a bunch of fart jokes and they're really playing up how goofy he was, which I get he was super goofy, but it'll be like James McAvoy showing him how to fart. And then next it'll cut to, It'll, it'll it'll try to cut to like something really serious. Like there's um Mass people in the graves. streets like shoot yeah, like shooting guns and and then the music will come in and I'm like, uh like these the transitions between the two kind of the tones don't work very well. Um so th- these are problems I have with how the movie is made. But the movie itself I don't like either. Uh the movie's really hung like hung up on insatiable James McAvoy, like chasing Poon. Uh, and like, that's all that this movie is about. It's like him going after Scully from X-Files and then him going after right. one of General Idi Amin's wives. Oh yeah. And I, I was watching this and I was like, this guy's way too loosey goosey. Like he already knows that, uh, he's in a bad place. He's tried to leave. And then he's like, you know what? Whatever. I'm just going to bone down with, uh, one of the wives. And he even says, quote, ah, oh, fuck it. Whatever. Uh, so he just does it. And so he's like back and forth. And that's what I mean. Like his character is really annoying. Maybe that's what that guy was like. But I was just like, I don't like this. I'm sure it wasn't. Yeah. Like, I don't know. (laughs) A a guy like that. And even so the build up to it where he's like a moody teen. He's like, I want to get away from my parents, man. And he has a globe and he spins it. And he's like, I'm going to go to the first place that I land on. And he lands his finger down (laughs) and he goes, Canada. And he pauses for a minute and then he spins the globe again and then he puts his finger down and it zooms in on Uganda. And I'm like, what the, f-? I was like, when it zooms the in, is there the sound of an airplane? Oh, it's drums. I think it's like, ah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But cause Africa, I, baby, Africa. But I, I, I didn't get, I was like, what the fuck? I was like, what is this like weird, uh, shade being thrown at Canada? Like it's some shitty place. Like or it's boring. And then obviously the movie doesn't boring. go there. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's like he does that. And then I think, so at the end it gets into the gruesome shit, but I think it's, it's too late. It's like too little, too late. Like, uh, they show like a dismembered body and then the hilarious bit, which I'm sure probably did happen, but where they like nipple hook him and like hang him up into the ceilings. Do you remember that scene? No, (laughs) They, they take these two hooks and they shove it through James McAvoy's tits put ropes on him and then like pull him up into the ceiling. So he's just hanging by his like loose skin and then they drop him. But here's what they do next year. This 
group uh, that are working under the general, they're doing this at the airport before the plane leaves. Right. They just leave his body. They're like, let's go have a beer. Let's go out for a smoke. And they all leave. And they're like, he'll be fine. Just leave him there. So then the other doctor comes in, cleans him up, and then sneaks him onto the plane. Right. And then the, the goons come back and they're like, where is he? Oh, my God. And again, maybe that is what happened. But that's dumb too, even if that was what re- what really happened. So, I don't know. I uh, I I didn't really like this movie, Jared. Is, is it, was it a real good thief type of movie? Uh, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that. Like, there there's some things to it, but I don't know. I think all these like high ratings for this must have been when it came out like 13 years ago. I, I would challenge anyone to watch this now and still have a such a hot a opinion of it. But I don't know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm just desensitized to things. And this movie was just like like nipple hook hangings. I was like, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> That's possible too, Jared. I don't know. Maybe. Horst Whitaker was good, but he's not even really. Well, he's in it, but he's not in it like that much. Or this movie's he... about James McAvoy chasing oh, Poon. He's not in it to win it. He's not in it to win it, baby. So I got to watch. But some he more did of win. That. He won that Academy Award, I think. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He did. So, uh, what James McAvoy movie do you want me to watch next? Oh God, I don't care. Narnia. Ugh. Hey RJ. Yeah. What? Who hates General Idi Amin Dada? A self-portrait. I don't know. Maybe some people from uh, Uganda. Well, less than a thousand people have logged mm-hmm. this movie on Letterboxd, uh, which nice. is kind of the case with documentaries, it seems. Mm-hmm. Uh, and first up, the lowest rating, a, a mere two and a half stars. It's no real mm. uh, hot hate. From Andy, hmm. in all caps. It's very obvious that people making this film don't agree with the man or his actions, but, like, why give him a platform? That, so is, are they... that, that is a very uh, 2018 uh, thing to say. Because we're in so, the age now of deplatforming, and uh, yeah, they're more mad about the uh, the political agenda of this, or I don't know. <laughs> well, so the thing though is like the argument can be said the other way though, where it's just like, isn't that what who is was it Eisen or whoever like was the president after World War Two? Who was like, yeah, let's go get some cameras on uh, those all those uh, concentration camps to show how bad it was, so people don't forget. Where it's like with this, it's like it's not a platform. I think it's like you said, it's more of this artifact of history. Where it's like, hey, maybe people should see how what this was like. So there's you get a better understanding of like what happened. Yeah, I mean, this could get into a bigger discussion about like journalistic yeah, a, journalistic responsibility line, and yeah. like what you're doing. I don't know. It's like you, you, you're in the moment and you kind of do what you do and uh, people can nitpick and argue and do nothing with their lives and make letterbox posts. Like mm-hmm. that's kind of what it boils down to. It's like, oh. I don't hey, know. Uh, one of Andy's favorite films is Roma. Nice. So all their other favorite films are very like obvious things. Uh, I'm doing this lately. Uh, their least favorite films, 16 Candles, uh, The Hangover, Bruce Almighty. That's weird. <laughs> so Bruce Almighty is not a bad movie, is it? Uh, it's not good. Well, that's debatable, but uh, I don't think it's a bad movie. Gabe, two and a half stars. 
all she says is, he or she, I've got a very good brain. Anyone with shit for brains. Gabe is uh, based on his avatar on Letterboxd. He's male. I'm going to make a bold statement to say that. Their favorite films include Criterion Films, being John Malkovich, High and Low, Lawrence of Arabia, North by Northwest. They don't have a whole lot of uh, five-star affairs. Many, many Criterion movies. They may even be a fan of this podcast. Okay. All well, Criterion movies, to be honest. Well, oh, only two half-star movies. One is called Los Mortes, Mortos, from 2004. And then Spawn. Spawn's a good movie. I don't know. No, no it's not. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, well, I mean, there's nothing to even really make fun of. I've got a very good sure. brain. Anyone with shit for brains? Probably accurate. It's like sure. it's being like the healthiest president. Uh, yep. and I'm, I'm here uh, one more. Two and a half stars from actual film critic Mike D'Angelo. Mm, uh, again. Again, he comes up. Uh, often a detractor. Uh, a feature-length version of the New York Times recent, as I write this, off-the-cuff Trump interview featuring the same relentlessly appalling mix of braggadocio, 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 <laughs> blatant lies and bizarre self-delusion from its subject. I concur with those who faulted Schmidt for providing the cancer-in-chief with a yet another forum for his toxic nonsense, unchallenged. I feel pretty much the same way about this doc which is 90 minutes of murderous autocrat is autocratic. It's at least a little bit more interesting than the autobiography of Nikolai Sisusu. Uh, I can't remember how I can't remember. Excuse me? Yeah, he's another one of those bad people. Uh, and that you do get a sense of Amin as a person, especially when he works hard to be ingratiating. But this just isn't a mode of political journalism that I find very productive. Well... Uh, Mike, let me tell you, I guess when you are in the presence of a murderous dictator, uh, you kind of filmed killing people. Well, I don't know if he actually, that was his footage or not necessarily, but, but still, but yeah, you, when you're like, this guy could kill me. Um, I guess you, you kind of just go, okay, I'll let him, uh, hang himself with his own fucking words. So Mm -hmm. there you go. Uh, I don't know. Hey, you know, what's weird. What? Mike D'Angelo has a, a one-star rating for this Los Mortos movie as well. Whoa. From Lissandro uh, Alonso. Um, it's Argentinian, it looks like. But that's a weird crossover, Jarrett. I guess it's the same type of weirdos who watch General Idioming Data in 2019. I guess. But uh, Mike, Delange- Mike Delangelo also gave Elephant one half star and uh, Snow Dogs a half star. I don't, I don't know if Snow Dogs is a half star movie. I, I believe he's got some unkind words for the movie The Thing as well. Uh, he's a hack. He's a wild card. Mm. Anyways, yeah, like I said, I like this documentary. Um, I think it's worth watching. Uh, it's not going to sure. be, it's not going to be anyone's favorite documentary. It's not going to change your life. I don't think that like, unless it's going to be like, maybe I shouldn't murder people when I'm president. I don't know. Maybe you should. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe someone could be like, yeah, I'm just like that. Cause the type of people that are like this aren't watching documentaries. Mm-hmm. So, well, I don't know. I don't know either, Jared. I thought it was fine. I thought it was pretty good. I liked it. Yeah. It's good. Yeah, it's good. After the break, 
We're going to go for a boat ride and go look at those crocodiles. Talk about uh-huh. those protocols of the elders of Zion. What? <laughs> Why are you asking me about Hitler? Joseph's face was black as night The pale yellow moon shone in his eyes His path was marked by the stars in the southern hemisphere And he walked his days under African skies This is the story of how we begin to remember of love in the vein After the dream of falling and calling your name out the- RJ, do you wish hmm. that Edie Amin was your dad? Uh, he He's already a dad to a lot of people. I don't think he'd have time for me. If I was the only child, that would be pretty cool. You go swim with your dad? R- rule a country together? Yeah, I mean, who, who, what, who, who, whose dream isn't that? Go ride in a helicopter. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. Yeah, not too bad. You, you don't want to ride in a helicopter? Uh, no, it's not on my list of things I want to do. Why? Are you a bad person? Uh, I'm just a regular guy. I'm not worthy of that. That's for uh, generals. Oh, so you are a bad person. Yeah. Lesser, I'm a lesser person. One of those lesser humans. Yeah. yeah. You can email us at criterioncreeps at gmail.com and tell us about your favorite dictator. Uh, we've got a Facebook page. We're on Instagram. We're on Letterboxd. I'm Jared Duncan. He's Barnloaf. We've got YouTube. We've got a Patreon. We're on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, all that jazz. Next week, RJ, spine number 154. The Horse's Mouth, <laughs> directed by oh. Ronald Neem from 1958. Speaking of uh, England, that's where we're going next, RJ. That sounds boring, Jarrett. It's from uh, the producer of your boy David Lean's like movies that you like so much. Oh, okay. Ronald Neem's in the director's chair. Yeah, that sounds okay then. Yeah. Hot, um, hot dog. I have no, uh, I have no other comments as I don't know what that movie is. I really don't know either. So we're we're gonna find out together, and we're gonna talk about it next week, and have to pretend like we know what we're talking about. Hey, why don't we find just out like together. every other week? Yeah, we'll just take one another's hands and take that plunge together. It's not what I meant, but okay. Into the void. Sure. Good night. Are you, oh, are you still recording? They gave him a little power. And he went insane. His Excellency, the Commander-in-Chief. It could have happened anywhere, but it happened here. <laughs> a man who should have been a common criminal. Beep,
became a man with power over millions. He took the power and he went mad. Give him and all of them VIP treatment. He killed the husbands and raped the wives. He lived like a king in his own private kingdom and destroyed all those who weren't his own kind. You may kill us, but you'll have to answer for it. The man's insane. <laughs> he owned the people, their lives, their bodies, their souls. The story of a madman who killed half a million. <laughs> Nobody makes fool of me, Big Daddy. <laughs> I mean, the rise and fall, he's still free to kill.